Good morning. Y'all are a ray of sunshine on this irksome morning. I was, uh, oh great, we just sang the song, Oh Great God, verse 3. I love the first two lines in it. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Too often we uh, lose that perspective. Too often we come to Christ, we accept Him as Lord and Savior, but then we expect to just go ahead and live our lives just trusting in the future grace that when I die I'm going to heaven instead of that daily grace that we need. And I really believe God brings trials in our lives to remind us, and that could be any way, shape, or size. Okay? He bring, it could be a person. It could be a thorn in the flesh. It could be a disease. It could be whatever. It can be a bad boss, one who is unfair. And we're going there this morning, by the way. It could be a job you do not like. But all these trials and tribulations God puts in our lives to remind us and to make us dependent on His grace, not just for when we die, but on a daily basis. That grace is there to sustain us every day. And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for trials in my life, I would wander so way up, so far away from God's grace. Amen? So we need to thank God for the trials in our lives. How about that? That's why Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And why Paul also wrote Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. Amen? Amen. I love, so I love singing these just gospel word-saturated songs and hymns. And uh, that's what I thought about that. Thank you, Ron, for selecting those for every Sunday that we meet. Wonderful. Well, we as Christians are blessed beyond measure. Amen? Amen? I don't know if you feel like it this morning and this last rain and stuff like that. I don't know what your week's been like. But regardless of your week, that is the truth. That is the truth. According to chapter 1, verse 3, God tells us in His Word that all blessings of heaven are ours. All blessings are ours. Listen to this. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. All the blessings of heaven are yours. Be a child of God. It all rests on His shoulders. It all is because of what He has done. It's because of God's labor of love that all the blessings of heaven are ours. What He did for us in Christ. How He has chose us and adopted us. How He has redeemed us. How He sent His Son to take care of our sins. To take them on himself. And to be that very righteousness that we have to have, that we must have to be in the presence of God. And then how he sealed us with his Holy Spirit to secure us. So that when we enter into trials, when we have tribulations, when we ourselves are prone to wander away from God, we are still his. It's called eternal security. And all that is until that day he calls you home. And even until that day, he's given us what is called the body of Christ, the church. And he's placed you in the body, and that body, one another, is to be an encouragement on our journey to that day when Christ calls you home. That's why we have fellowship. That's why I want the women to get together to encourage one another the way that men could not encourage them, being, being mothers, be, being workers at home and workers away from the home and, and being wives and to share their struggles, to, to share their agonies, to share their trials because they need perseverance. They, they need that encouragement. They need that comfort that Christ would give them if he was here. But he today works through other godly women to, to, to bring that into the lives of other women. This blessing of eternal life in Christ is so powerful, Paul writes. And in chapter 4, he uses the rest of his ink and the rest of the parchment that he's had left over at this point in writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore I, the prison Lord, implore you now, based upon how God has blessed you, now I want you to walk worthy, the manner worthy, the calling with which you have been called. And so from chapter 4 on, he talks about the Christian life. 
and it can be broken down basically into five segments. Let me illustrate this for you. Here you are. Okay? Well, if you're a lady, you got a little dress or whatever. How about that? Okay? Anyway. All right? And you basically have five spheres of influence, five basic kinds or types of relationships. Now, notice what Paul does in chapter 4. Don't have to look there, but in chapter 4, throughout chapter 5, verse 22, Paul is talking about our walk, living the gospel, the gospel uh, walk, life. And then in verse 22 of chapter 5, he talks about the general call, the general disposition of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. After 5.22, he begins to lay out three, three of the most important relationships that we have. Number one, marriage, the husband-wife relationship. You just going to abbreviate, husband-wife relationship. So what's the next one? Talks about the family, or the parent, the parenting relationship, okay? And what's another one? What we're going to be at this morning is your work. Your work. Now, he's already talked about the church. That was in chapter, beginning of chapter, the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3. There's one left out that he doesn't address here, and that is your relationship with the government. That would be, for example, Romans 13. In every one of these relationships, we must manifest the characteristic of a submissive spirit. That's why when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, excuse me, I think I said 22 earlier, but verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands. But we also know that husbands should display what that looks like at times in the relationship with their wives. And then go to chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Be honor them, respect them, be subject to them. And here we are, verse 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. This does not happen. We cannot follow through to Christ's command of obedience without a spirit or heart of submissiveness. It is an attitude of I willfully place myself under the authorities that God has placed into my life. In the church, it would become elders. Then we had the government. Okay? And, and with children as parents in the home. We talked about the husband-wife relationship. And at work... It's whoever I'm under, whether it's the boss, it might be a manager, it might be a supervisor, it could be the owner of a business. But I want to show you something. It's how, how important this idea, not idea, how this call to submissiveness just permeates every aspect of our lives. We don't talk about it that much, to be subject, to be submissive. Our culture hates that term. I want to be independent. I want to be my own man. I don't want authorities in my life. I want to be free to do what I want, when I want, how I want. So this whole concept, this whole whole character of submissiveness, which Christ himself exemplified perfectly, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, okay? It, it, it's what he wants of his children. Before we get to it, let's stand together and read our passage this morning, okay? Let's read together verses 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. 5 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. There's that phrase, the will of God, right there. We often ask, what's God's will? It tells us right there. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. In other words, you got the same one. And there is no partiality with our master, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, that, your word just reveals your heart. Your word reveals your will. And we as believers, we, as, we should be excited about it. Because we, we want to walk in it. Because the greatest desire we have above all, it's not investments. It's not being most comfortable we can be in this world. It's not about that, God. It's about bringing you pleasure. It's about having, though we have one foot on earth, 
we got the other one in heaven. God, I pray that the greatest desire of our hearts, regardless of what relationship we're talking about, would be to bring you honor and glory, would be to walk by faith when it comes to work, when it comes to my job, to walk by faith when it comes to our family, when it comes to government, to walk in these relationships, trusting you at your word, doing what your word says, regardless of how we feel at the moment. Because we trust in you. God, refine our faith, sharpen it, increase it. Because when you do, the inevitable result is it magnifies our Savior to you and to a lost world and to each other. May that be the result of this simple sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before we get into our text, I do want to bring up two things. And and uh, I just brought up the first one already. It's called submissiveness. In the broader context, go to chapter 5, verse 21, just for a moment. He says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This idea, this concept of being subject to is a primary characteristic of the Christian would you not agree with that? I mean, it's just permeates Scripture all over the place. But it's a quality, it's an attribute that is really contrary to what we get from the world we live in. As I just said a moment ago, the world promotes independence and freedom and equality, not submissiveness to authorities. You know, authorities are being attacked all over the place. Civil authorities are being attacked, and we see our police officers being shot and killed, being disrespected. Not that they're perfect. But guess what? In each one of these scenarios, God is never talking about only submit when this person over you in authority is perfect. No, no, no. That's why it's a walk of faith when we do this. That's why obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, obedience to the Word of God is a walk of faith. It's not just I'm going to obey, but God, I'm going to obey you trusting in the results. Even if they go south on me. Because oftentimes, and we're going to learn this in a little bit, when we obey God, people don't respond the way we would like them to. Things still go south. We'll talk about that when we turn to Peter in just a little bit. So I wanted you to see the, the overall, the, the broader context of this Christ-like character called submissiveness. And then, second of all, we need to approach all of our relationships, but this morning particularly the work, our job. With the character of God in mind. For, for example, the providence of God. The Bible teaches us about the providence of God. That God in His invisible hand is moving circumstances and situations in our lives specifically for every one of His children. In other words, where you're at right now is where God has you. Let that sink in. Where you are right now, on the job, Whoever you're dealing with is where God has you right now. You're not on your own. You're not on the, you're not adrift in the sea of chance. It's not about luck. Being unlucky. It's about the providence of God. You've got to walk in it. You've got to trust that God knows everything going on, which leads to the next one, omniscience. He sees and therefore knows everything you're going through at work. He knows how they're treating you. He knows their attitude towards you. He knows everything that's going on in your life on the job. He sees it. Number three, God's sovereign. You see, before I even get to the job, we've got to walk, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, and those who have been saved by the sovereign grace of God, we dare not talk about our relationship as servants our relationship as employees without talking about or bring as our foundation, as our bedrock, the very character of God himself. To talk about jobs, to talk about him being employees and dealing with people on the job in terrible circumstances without God being our bedrock, bedrock is a disaster. It's to lose total perspective. It's to take God out of the picture and to approach a job like an unbeliever would. But that is not the child of God. God is sovereign. What does that mean? God's in control where you're at. He's not only placed you where you're at, He's in control of where you're at. Purpose. 
God always has a purpose for you. You know, ultimately, his purpose is to conform you to the image of his son, but his also purpose is to provide for you through that job, even though it might not be very pleasant to go to. Still provides. So you got to talk about the omniscience of God, that God knows everything, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the purpose of God, but finally, the compassion of God. And it means this, he cares for you right where you're at. He knows you're not happy. He knows your circumstances. He knows it's very difficult. He knows the people you deal with. Reminding me of this passage, and we'll get on into our text in just a minute. Reminding me of Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the question that he asks, based on that analogy. Are you not worth much more than they? Wow. That's another thing. Don't you think God cares for you a whole lot more than those birds? So, so he has God's sovereignty and control. He's omniscient. His providence, he's directing everything. And has you there where you're at. He has a purpose for you. But never, ever, ever, ever forget that every moment of every second of every day, every hour, God cares for you. Even when you think you can't take it anymore. Because he is sovereign. He knows what's going on. He's directing your life. Amen? Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Alright. Well, that was the introduction. Let's go on to our text. Let's begin with verses 5 through 8 in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, obviously, the outlines would be very simple in verses 5 through 6. He's to, slaves would be parallel to employees. And then finally, verse 9, which will be at the end, masters will be our employers, maybe a manager, a supervisor, or an owner of a company, someone who exercises authority over us on the job. So I just really want to walk through this. Uh, I just want to do a walkthrough. Let's do a walkthrough of these verses, okay? Let's look at it. Verse 5 begins with the main verb. Well, the main subject is slaves. The main verb is be obedient. Be obedient. How often does God tell us to be obedient? But now he's honing in, Paul's honing in on a relationship. You know, here we are. Think of it this way. Instead of my work influencing me, instead of government influencing me, we should be the influencers here. And the best way we're to be influencers is by walking by faith in what God tells us to do. Because we want to influence people for who? Jesus Christ. Right? Your parents, you want to influence your children for Christ. Husbands, wives, each other for for, for who? For Christ. They're the billboard, right? Of the grace of the gospel. Same thing with our government. Pay your taxes, Romans 13. They're unreasonable. I know, God says, pay them anyway. He talks about himself being in control. I place governments where I want them. I believe God has allowed men to design governments, but he places those men, whether they're a dictator or democracy or socialist, whatever, he places them all where he wants them. Our president is our president regardless of who it is, by the sovereignty of God, whether we like it or not. Right? What does God tell us to do? Be subject. Be subject. Be subject those authorities in our lives because they walk of trusting God in everything, right? All right. So the main verb is, is obey. It means it's imperative that we obey. It's really simple, isn't it? It's a, it's a command, by the way. It's present. It's an imperative. It's imperative, Paul says, servants, it's imperative that you obey those who are your masters according to the flesh. It's also present tense. Which means ongoing, uninterrupted obedience. In other words, don't just obey and be a good employee when you feel like it. You do it all the time, even when you don't feel like it. You obey and, and you perform your duty and your job. You work hard and diligently. That's, that's what it means in the present tense. It's ongoing. Don't only work hard, 
uh, when, when they are being reasonable and fair to you, even work hard or work just as hard when they are being unreasonable with you and unfair with you. When they show partiality to this guy over here instead of you or this gal over there instead of you, you are obediently the same no matter what. You're steady. That's what Paul's saying with the Greek there. It's imperative that your obedience be ongoing and uninterrupted obedience. Don't just do it when you feel like it. No, all the time. The only exception is when your authority, whether it be a manager or supervisor, asks you to do something immoral or idolatrous or something like that. Unscriptural, blasphemous. Write down, or you like to go there, 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. I want to look at verses 18, 19, and 20. I want you to listen to this. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Same thing. Okay, same, same theme here. With all respect, with honor, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. So our obedience, our submissiveness to our authorities on the job is not based upon how they treat me. Why? Look beyond your boss to the master. See, see and Paul's going to say this in just a moment. He's going to say, you're really not working for him. You're really not working for her. You're working for him. You see that? Well, I have a change of perspective when you go to work. I'm going to work for Jesus this morning. Because your earthly master, he, he, he can be a pain sometimes, right? Oh, don't answer that. Please don't answer that. He goes on to say, Peter, that is. Notice what he says in verse 19. For this finds favor. Well, the word favor means grace. It's admirable. To who? To God. Verse 19. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Well, he treats me unfairly. My manager, my supervisor, he's mean to me. He treats them better than me. Well, God sees that. He knows that. And yet, if you continue to be subject to that unjust or unreasonable boss, you're doing it as unto the Lord, and therefore you will maintain obedience and be submissive to that master regardless of how they treat you. Verse 20, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Wow. Did you get that? Let me read that again. What credit is there if when you sin, and your heart's retreated for your sin, and you endure that treatment with patience, what good is that? You deserve that. Right? If you sin, you deserve that kind of treatment. But, contrary to that, if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, I don't deserve suffering in that context, do you? No, I'm doing right. Why are you punishing me for doing, doing it right? It's why you asked me to do it. But God is watching. That's the point. The providence, the sovereignty of God, He cares, He knows exactly what you're going through. He's watching every moment. And so if you patiently endure that injustice from your boss, it finds favor with God. Wow. Beloved, please... It's so easy for us to take God out of the equation when we are at work. Satan would love for us to think God is not sovereign. Satan loves for us to think that God is not in control. Because once he gets us to believe that, he begins to wreak havoc in our hearts and our relationship with God himself. Our world's telling us all the time, what God? Where is he? But you're here this morning because God has opened up our eyes to his greatness, to his grandeur, to his majesty, because he's opened up our eyes to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it means to obey. Titus 2, 9 through 10. It's another passage that deals with this. It talks about bond service. It's just a verse here. Two verses, 9 and 10. Urge, I urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Did you get that? When they ask you to do something, as long as it falls under the, 
under the authority of God's word. They don't ask you to do anything unmoral. They ask you to do a task or a job. You just don't do it. But how you do it with the right attitude. You do it without arguing. Without grumbling. Without answering back. And then he says this, not pilfering, which simply means don't lay aside a little portion for yourself, embezzling. Okay? Be careful. God again is watching. They're not going to admit no it's gone. They're not going to know it's missing. They make enough money. This corporation, my goodness, they're not going to notice the $10 I take or the $1 I take or the stack of papers I take or whatever. They're not going to notice it. Well, I wouldn't worry about them. I'd worry about the Lord. But showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Isn't that what his Christian life is all about? Is taking the truths of God's Word and treating them as these beautiful clothing that we put on ourselves and adorn ourselves with. That's the purpose of sound doctrine, isn't it? It's to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to walk in the Word of God. And that's and in, in Paul and Peter telling us, this is what it looks like on the job. Let's go back to Ephesians. Let's go back to our main text this morning. Still back in verse 5, the next phrase is masters according to the flesh. This phrase gives us perspective, doesn't it? He's talking about or refers to earthly temporal masters. Okay, That's why he says that slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. That temporal master that you have while on earth. Look at the next phrase, with fear and trembling. This, do it with the right attitude. Don't just obey, but obey with the right attitude. Do it in a way that honors your boss. Do it in a way that honors and shows respect for your supervisor or the owner. Don't, don't do it out of fear and trembling. Don't, don't do it just because you're afraid. It doesn't mean that. It's a reference to have the right attitude and be honorable and respectful to your employer. Next phrase, the sincerity of the heart. This refers to commitment. Commitment. Commitment on the job. It simply means wholehearted devotion. Purity of intent. Man, when your boss sees it while you're there, while you're there, those eight hours a day, or how many hours, when you are wholeheartedly in that project, they notice that. That's the idea here. Jesus is saying, when you're on the job or, or service with your masters, do it, go all out. You're a representative of Christ. You're the little J on the job. Jesus, that is. The purity of intent. I like this last phrase. As to Christ. Here in the verse 5. As to Christ. What does that mean? In comparison, as you would to Christ. Wow. There's just, there's just an extra ton of weight on this right now. As to Christ. Which is a reminder of what? Who are you really working for? Is it the supervisor in that office around the corner? Is it that manager behind the desk? Is it the owner of the business? Yeah, you're working for them. You're, you're under them. But ultimately, they're all under Christ. And when you come into work, you're working for him. You're his child. You've been redeemed. Most people's job aren't working for him. They have both feet on earth. We're to come to work with one foot on earth and the other one in heaven. Let's go to verse 6. Go to verse 6. He continues on, not by way of eye service as men pleasers. Don't just do your job when your boss is around, when he's looking. You are the same whether he's there or not. Don't be lax when he is absent. It's easy to put your guard down. Right? It's easy to go, oh, he's gone for a while. I can, I'll, 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 I'll turn my computer screen. I'll go look at the weather. Or I'll do something. I'll, I'll, I'll text on my phone, my friends, because he's gone. You know, and I know a lot of these businesses have rules about using the phone, don't they? Because they know it's easy for you to take 10 minutes out of the hour and use it for your own personal time on your cell phone or, or texting or, or whatever you do, okay? That would be a modern-day application of that. Don't just work hard when they're around. Do it all the time. 
And notice again, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Again, your real master is, is God himself, and you're doing his will. Again, we ask, our children ask, what's God's will for you? Right here, do a great job for Christ at work. Be a good worker. Work hard. Be diligent. Look at verse 7. Serve your earthly master with good will. That means good intentions. Good intentions. Since it is the Lord you serve. Listen to this. As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good thing each one does. I love that. Don't wait for your boss's kindness to come around until you do a good job. Don't wait for your boss to say something nice to compel you, but joyfully fulfill your work as unto the Lord. He's already fulfilled everything for you. He's already blessed you with everything in the heavenlies, hasn't he? And that's your motivation for doing a good job on the job at work. See, don't think so much uh, horizontal in your relationship with you and your boss. Think vertically on the job. Think vertically. Wait a minute. You know what? Paul says, you know, the suffering in this world, as typical as it is, is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. So you work 30, 40 years, okay? And you, and you invest. And during that time, though, you're struggling on the job and everything. And, and you suffered for it. But that 30 or 40 years working hard labor and having a job and even working for an employer that's unbearable at times is nothing compared to eternity. I can't put a number to that. And Paul says, I had suffered. See, he's talking about ministry getting the gospel out. But suffering takes on many other forms. So there's many other causes of suffering. One could be you suffer because of you have an unreasonable, unjust employer or boss. And so you suffer. But Paul would say to us today, compare that to glory. And he'd say, come on, there is no comparison. So why not do this over here for God's glory and put up with it in dirt and still be a great worker, represent Christ on the job, knowing what? That you're going to be here one day. Again, it's this, it's this concept. The Puritans came up with this. We're living life with one foot on earth and the other one in heaven. That's the concept. He's, they're not saying live over here. When we do that, we lose, we lose God's perspective. When we plant both feet it, it just in this world on a daily basis, it's taking God out of the picture. It's taking his blessings out of the picture that he's promised for us when we do that over there. Look at verse 8. I don't think we think about this much in relationship to our job. Notice what he says in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does at work, that's the context, verse 8, this he will receive back from the Lord. What's he talking about? Rewards. And not necessarily earthly rewards, heavenly rewards. They could be both and. You often think about God rewarding you because of the hard work for Christ you do on the job, because you represent Him. Wow. You will receive back from the Lord. You will be rewarded. And He says, whether slave or free, whether you're employed or self employed. <laughs> kind of a modern day interpretation. We often get so caught up in our world and its immediate rewards that we forget that we are. That there are rewards from heaven that are still coming. Beloved, think of it this way. There is future grace. We get so bogged down in the grace of the cross in the past. But do you and I realize that God has more grace? It's infinite grace. There's future grace. And, and, and God wants to show us that future grace and give some of us that grace as, as a reward for obeying him on the job when the boss is a pain in the you-know-what. Right? Amen. Knowing that we represent Him. And that we ultimately are working for Him. Bypass the manager, bypass the supervisor, bypass the owner in your attitude and in your mind. I know you can't in reality. I'm not saying that. But in your mind, in your heart, in your devotion to God, 
bypass him and go to the work, driving a car and saying, I'm going to work for Jesus this morning. And I've got to face my boss, I've got to face this and face that. But ultimately, I want in my spirit this principle that I'm going to work for my Lord Jesus. Same thing at home. I want to be a husband or wife for the Lord Jesus. I want to be a godly parent. Yes, it's for my kids, but for the Lord Jesus. You see, what Paul is doing here is he's he's saying, you're so blessed. You're a child of God. Now I want to show you how, how to walk in a way that's honorable to your God, to your Heavenly Father, in the relationships, the most important relationships you have on earth. Husband, wives, parents, work. You see what he's doing here? This is Christianity in shoe leather. Let me, okay, I, I ran across this illustration and uh, from Warren Wearsby. It has to do with reward. I thought it was a real sweet one. It came out of his commentary, actually. Let me read it to you. Perhaps you have heard the story of the old missionary who was returning home after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship was President Theodore Roosevelt returning to the States after a big game hunt in Africa. When the ship docked in New York, great crowds greeted the president and the press was there to cover the story. The old missionary and his wife walked off the ship unnoticed and made their way to cheap hotel to spend the night before traveling west. It just doesn't seem right, the missionary said to his wife in a rather bitter tone. We give our lives in Africa to win souls for Christ and when we arrive home, there's nobody to meet us and there's no reward comparing himself to the president. The president shoots some animals and he gets a royal welcome. We're involved in saving souls and we get nothing. As they were praying before retiring that evening, it seemed that the Lord spoke to them and said, Do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you, have, you aren't home yet. End of quote. Isn't that a sweet story? You see what happens when we live life with both feet on earth? We forget the future that God has for us. The missionary was learning once again, as we always have, i got to learn over and over the same lessons, don't you? We live life with one foot on earth, the other one in heaven. Isn't that why it's important to have a daily quiet time? To maintain that perspective? Because when you go a day or two without spending time with the Lord, you're, you're dragging his feet that was in heaven, you're bringing it back to where both feet on earth again, and you lose perspective. God's perspective of his life that he wants you to live for his glory. Right? You lose purpose. Don't you? You lose comfort. You lose sight of him. That's what happens. So let us live with one foot on earth, but the other in heaven. And now Paul concludes in verse 9, and masters, masters, do the same. I think that probably refers back to verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Just like he was talking to the employees, do your will from the heart as to the Lord. He's talking now to the bosses, the managers, the supervisors, the, the masters saying, you do the same thing from the heart. You honor God from the heart in the position that he gave you. And by the way, if you are a Christian boss, if you are a supervisor or an owner, and you have employees under you, you are where you're at by the grace of God. And when we come to church, there is no master-slave. Right? We're united as one in Christ. Be a godly boss. Be as Christ would be. Be a boss that is pleasing to the Lord. Be kind. Show mercy. Show understanding. They have families. They have needs. Don't just have them there to get the job done. Invest in them. Understand them. Know where they're at. Be interested in not their, just their performance, but be interested in them as souls, as people. Care for them as Christ cares for you. That's why he says, and this really fits the context back then, give up threatening don't threaten to reduce their pay. Don't threaten to punish them. And that was a big thing back when Paul was writing. Slavery was much more of a big thing back then. Okay? 
And masters, in order to get what they want from them, they had to free them, to threaten them, and even carry out a lot of these threats without any repercussions whatsoever. They would, could easily withhold pay. They could even have their servants whipped if they wanted to, and in some cases could even kill them. Under Roman rule, Roman law, that was at times permissible. And so it became very oppressive. And so he's saying in verse 9, give up threatening. In other words, stop it. Don't threaten to punish or to hold back wages. Do not use your position or your power as a boss, as a master, in an abusive way. Don't use it for that. Remember, you have the same master in heaven. That's what he says, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. Your master and that employee's master over there, that service master that works for you, you guys have the same master. Big M. Read it in the text. Big M. That means it's referring to one particular one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your master. Whether you're a boss, whether you're an employer or employee, whether you're a supervisor or manager, or you're the lowest on the totem pole of that business, you all have the same master being Christians, he's saying. Yeah. And there's what? No partiality with him. No partiality with him. None. Zero. The best boss is one who has first become a great servant. If you're a boss, if you're a servant or manager, you know how most effective, you know how you become the most effective boss there is for Christ? Are you ready for this? Become a servant of Christ first. And think of your job being a boss or manager as serving those around you, even though according to the business plan and model, they are under you, you have the attitude of I'm under them to help them, to make them be successful. As a matter of fact, it just flies in the face of worldly thinking, doesn't it? You're not going to hear that. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 20. Listen to this. You're going to be very familiar with this story. The mother of one of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and, and making a request of him. I want my son to be the greatest in heaven. Come on. Can you be the president of one of your companies? I don't know. Actually. I'm sure that wasn't it then, but, you know, that's kind of the thinking. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking, and you are able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, are you? That would be no, because that cup was leading to the cross, shedding the blood. They said to him, but they were clueless what was going on. We're able. After the cross, I'm sure they looked back and went, why did I ever say that? You know. He said, in my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those who it has been prepared by my Father. When he says, my cup you shall drink, in other words, you're going to sacrifice and you're going to die for me. As apostles, as followers of me, when you go out spreading the gospel in the chapter Acts, you, you guys are going to get killed for me, standing up for me, for proclaiming me, okay? That's the cup you're going to drink from. It's the cup of death, so to speak. In hearing this, the ten became indignant with the other two brothers. <laughs> the other ten are going, the other two. You got your mama to say that for you? Really? Can you call yourself a man? I mean, I can hear from you. Sidebar discussion. Or, who are you? Or they were upset that they didn't think about <laughs> asking the same question. I'm not sure. Won't go there. But notice, that's not the point. Notice the point here. Verse 25, Jesus called him to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, this is how the world does it, lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. I don't want you to act like them. You're going to be different. My kingdom operates differently than this earth does, in the earthly kingdom. It is not this way among you, but whosoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. You see that? That's the mindset, that's the attitude of a boss, a supervisor, a Christian manager. Understand that. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And in verse 28, if that's not enough, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, follow my example. The church serves Christ because Christ first served the church by getting up on that cross and dying for her. Amen? The world does not think that way. Let me close. 
by wrapping all this up now, if I go into 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, how we can maintain faithfulness to Christ on the job or at work when things are difficult. When things are difficult. Remember earlier on, I read from chapter 2, uh, verse 18 through 19, and excuse me, 18 through 20. Uh, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, uh, and do this even when they're unreasonable and unjust. Remember that? Okay? Even when they don't take notice, because you're working unto the Lord. You want the Lord to take notice. Oftentimes, your earthly master won't take notice. But go on to chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, because this begins to sum up, okay, the injustice that goes on in relationships. Even a husband and wife in chapter 3, okay? What the wife is told how to live before a husband who's disobedient to the word. In verse 7, the husband is to live a certain way when the wife is disobedient to the word. We are to live a certain way on the job when our masters are disobedient to the word. Or, you know, you get, you get the point here. Here's what he says. To wrap things up, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, that's what we're doing. That's what it's about. Right? We're doing good on the job. You're doing it as unto the Lord. That's that practical righteousness that satisfies God. It's not the righteousness that gets you to heaven. Christ supplied that. You've got it. Secured. Done. This, this is that practical righteousness that comes with simply following Him. And obeying what He says in His Word about how to work on the job, how to live on the job. He says, you are blessed. Even if you should suffer, for, you're blessed. You're, are you hurting? Are you suffering? And you're doing everything the best you know how? And you're, and you're doing it right? Guess what? What's God's perspective? You're blessed. If you're living with both feet in this world, you're not going to understand that. God says, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm sovereign, I'm on mission, I brought you, I, I, I know, I know, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled at what's going on around you, at their treatment of you. Don't be troubled. Don't be intimidated. Here's what we do. Number one, verse 15. First thing we do is continue to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Daily devotions. Being together with other believers. Receiving that encouragement. Being in the Word. Daily diet of God's Word. Set apart Christ as Lord in your life so that when you do go to work, He's Lord and you're working for Him. Set Him apart. Number two, when you do that, you're ready to give an answer. I notice our bosses really treat me pretty bad. And you maintain this really, really good attitude on the job. And you're working your tail off. I mean, it really doesn't affect you. Whether the boss treats you well or not, I've noticed it. You're, you're really steady. Where, where do you get that from? Let me tell you a break. Let's go to lunch together, and I'd like to share with you who's in control here. Be a witness, a job, right? An influence for Christ at work. Live in such a way that provokes others to question how you live and why you do what you do and with the attitude that you do it with. Because it's foreign to this world. Because it's foreign. This world needs to see more foreigners. I'm not talking immigrants from other countries. I'm talking aliens that <laughs> saved by grace. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep going. Here's another one. We look at verse, we're just wrapping this up. Uh, verse 15, Saint by Christ is Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Wow. Always go to work with hope. Always go to work with hope. Without hope, we're done. Right? It's, it's hard to move forward without some hope. And I'm not talking about this, this hope for the sake of hope. I'm talking about the hope that Christ gives. The hope that when I die, all that labor at work under those conditions were never in vain of being rewarded by my Heavenly Father. Though we read about in verse 8 of Ephesians 6. 
account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence, referring to, again, doing it with the right attitude, cultivate the right attitude of gentleness and reverence. And then, finally, be above reproach. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, boy, Peter's anticipating you're going to be slandered on the work, on the job, even though you're doing things right. See what he's doing here? To keep a good conscience so that when they slander you, there's no evidence of it. They're lying. Keep a good conscience. So those who revile your good behavior in reference to Christ, in Christ, that little phrase in Christ should never be read in vain. Your good behavior is not reference to yourself. It's not reference of it's good behavior because of your walk with Christ, your love for him, living his life through you. Those people will be put to shame. That's living the gospel on the job. We do that because Christ is in us. As Paul says, and I'll conclude with this, Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives with me, in me, so that no matter where I go, Christ goes. Whether I'm at home with my family, my children, my wife, whether I'm at work, or I'm going to my accountant to drop off all my information for my taxes, even at church with the elders, Christ is in me. And when I carry him in me, and he's living his life through me, that quality of submissiveness and being subject to authorities shines brightly. As long as those authorities do not ask you to do something contrary to God's word. And that's why it's important for you to be in God's word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Uh, it is iron to our hearts. It sharpens us. It's a two-edged sword. It sanctifies, sets us apart. Father, I pray that you would deal with our minds and our hearts and our attitudes this week as we go to work. That we would go to it with a different perspective, with a greater hope, with a greater love, with a greater respect and honor for our employers, our bosses. And Father, our servants, our employees, God, we would go to work tomorrow morning with the mindset of your word to honor you at work. To walk by faith is to walk by trust in what your word tells us to do. Obedience to our masters. Obedience in a subjective way of being a blessing to our those who work under us, God. Magnifying you all the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.